This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where the state surgeon general issues an order saying anyone who wants a COVID vaccination in Florida must prove they reside in the state, which is a bit odd since last week his deputy told lawmakers those vaccines belong to the feds and states cannot discriminate based on residency. The federal government has advised that this is a federal asset, so people can come from other states. The state reported 163 additional fatalities and almost 13,000 new cases of COVID-19 Thursday. But the chairman of the new pandemic committee in the Florida Senate says there won't be any more lockdowns, no matter how bad it gets. Our economy is strong and our economy is bouncing back. But there are so many people who lost jobs and so many businesses who shuttered and who may never open again and who won't open again for sure. Uh, because of what we've done. The pandemic put a $3 billion hole in the state budget, but that hasn't stopped the demand for new spending. Economic developers want lawmakers to set aside more money to lure businesses. The only piece of the puzzle that's not in place is a robust incentive program. And without investing in incentives, Florida will be leaving a lot of money and a lot of jobs on the table. Healthcare advocates also have a request for lawmakers. They want better dental care for kids from low-income families. Only 38% of Florida's children who participate in Medicaid or in the state children's health insurance program received any oral health benefit at all. That left almost two-thirds of Florida's most vulnerable children without this vital service. On today's Sunrise interview, we talk with Viviana Jordan at Airbnb. The Super Bowl is coming to Tampa in a couple of weeks, and the home sharing service is telling its clients how to spot signs of human trafficking. Sporting events can increase human trafficking due to the large influx of visitors. So we want to make sure that we are doing everything we can to raise awareness and educate our host community about the signs of human trafficking and how to report it. We'll also have your calendar of events and the story of a Florida man who says he wasn't actually rioting at the Capitol. He was just looking for a bathroom. The feds don't buy it. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Friday, January 22nd. On this date in 1985, a cold wave hit the Sunshine State, damaging 90% of the citrus crop. Growers responded by bailing on Central Florida, planting new groves in South Florida, which is why you almost never see an orange grove in Orange County anymore. On this date in 1973, the U.S. Supreme Court issued the landmark abortion rights ruling called Roe v. Wade. Politicians have been fighting over it ever since. In 1964, the world's largest cheese was manufactured in Wisconsin for the New York World's Fair. It weighed more than 17 tons. This is also National Hot Sauce Day, National Blonde Brownie Day, and National Answer Your Cat's Questions Day. Florida Surgeon General Scott Rivkes has signed an emergency public health declaration saying you have to be a Florida resident to get a COVID shot in the Sunshine State, which is one hell of a reversal because his deputy, Shamariel Roberson, told lawmakers just last week their hands are tied by the feds. Senator Lauren Book asked the question nine days ago. What is the department's position on vaccine tourism? People coming to Florida because of, um, I guess, how loose we are in who can get a vaccine if, as long as you're in that age range. What is the department's position on people coming to Florida who aren't necessarily Floridians getting the vaccine? So the federal government has advised that this is a federal asset. 
so people can come from other states. But I'm happy to report with the numbers that I'm giving you that more than 96% of the persons who've received this vaccine in Florida are Florida residents. And we have other, for example, healthcare workers from other states that are helping us with the pandemic that are allowed to come in the state that we've given this vaccine to. So that is the position from the federal government. It is a federal asset. People can come across county lines, but what we're seeing is it is Floridians that are receiving the vaccine at this time in Florida. The health department reported 163 more fatalities and almost 13,000 new cases of COVID-19 Thursday. The official death toll has reached 25,128. More than 7,000 Floridians are now hospitalized, and the total number of cases in Florida, almost 1,614,000. Several counties have hit new milestones. Palm Beach exceeded 100,000 cases Thursday. Broward topped 2,000 fatalities. Duval set a new record Wednesday with 40 deaths reported in a single day. This is all happening as Florida rolls out its COVID vaccination program. The governor has ordered the health department to focus on people 65 and older, but there have been problems getting the vaccine to seniors. Reservation systems, both telephone and online, have crashed under the strain as hundreds of thousands try to sign up for a shot. And those who do get through often find there are no reservations left because there's not enough vaccine. While the new president is vowing to fix the flawed vaccination process, Joe Biden says it will take months to turn this around. He also warned America will probably top half a million fatalities sometime next month. No matter how bad it gets, the chairman of the newly created pandemic committee in the Florida Senate says there will be no more lockdowns here. Senator Danny Burgess of Zephyr Hill says businesses have to stay open for the state's economic well-being. To our business communities, to those who have been brought to their knees through this pandemic and and, and an economy that was artificially uh, slammed uh, by this virus, the strongest economy of my lifetime and I think all of our lifetimes, How can we get through this? Well, I think we're already showing signs of recovery, which is good. And I think that's evidence as to the strength of where we were before this happened. But I think it's incumbent on us to learn from the past and to never repeat it. We didn't know before what we know now. Uh, We didn't know how we could truly combat this virus. And um, so this is not intended to Monday morning quarterback, but I think uh, everyone is on the same page now. Uh, that we absolutely in no circumstance should go back to where we were before we shut down our economy. Our economy was strong, our economy is strong, and our economy is bouncing back, but there are so many people who lost jobs and so many businesses who shuttered and who may never open again and who won't open again for sure uh, because of what we've done. And so it's up to us to ensure going forward that we, we Uh, One of the things we're looking at, honestly, is creating what we call a presumption, a presumption that uh, operating within an environment like this, that that, that businesses will remain open. We know how we can handle this, how we can navigate this virus, and that we need to navigate it responsibly and, 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 you know, doing our civic duty and personal responsibility. And let's wear a mask. Let's wash our hands. Let's be safe. Let's socially distance. We can get through this together and still live our lives. We are still in this pandemic. It's ongoing. Cases are going up. And so we're not through this yet. Burgess spoke during a webinar held by the Florida Economic Development Council. Money is tight in Tallahassee, but that has not put a dent in the demand. The latest ask comes from Florida's Economic Development Council. That's the group that tries to attract new businesses. The state cut back on incentive programs four years ago, but John Boyd, who specializes in business relocations, says those incentives matter when companies are making a move. And Florida shot itself in the foot. Despite all of Florida's site selection positives, okay, it's favorable tax climate, the unique access it enjoys to the global marketplace, the historic in-migration of people, wealth, and talent that we've seen 
in recent years, of course, accelerated by the COVID epidemic and the overall positive state business climate, despite all of that. From a corporate site selection perspective, Florida is much less competitive today than it was just a few years ago when it began dismantling its incentive programs. This, of course, is a time where other low-tax, low-business-cost states like North Carolina, Tennessee, and Georgia, and Arizona have been increasing their incentive packages. This slippery slope, if you will, began in the spring of 2017 when the legislature slashed funding for Enterprise Florida and it eliminated Governor Scott's quick action closing fund. Florida can no longer compete on low operating costs. It can't go on autopilot. In this economy, our clients want every possible financial edge possible. And companies want incentives today. It's important to note too, this, this rise of the remote workforce. Florida will increasingly be competing with even smaller markets that aggressively promote themselves for satellite corporate offices. So th this makes it a case here uh, and it illustrates that incentives are a necessary part of the, of the, of the puzzle. You know, all, the, all of the pieces of the puzzle are in place for Florida to really go on a record run in economic development. There's an historic amount of projects leaving high tax states, looking for lower cost, lower tax states. The only piece of the puzzle that's not in place is a robust incentive program. And without investing in incentives, Florida will be leaving a lot of money and a lot of jobs on the table. Joe Mayer with Lockheed Martin says now is the perfect time to strike because the COVID crisis makes this the right time for businesses to relocate. And Florida is not keeping up with the competition. We are in a period of a transformational time, a change. Business is fundamentally reevaluating where they are, where they need to be. I just saw on the EFI news clips this morning that one in four business owners are considering moves of their operations. This is the time to capitalize, carpe diem, capitalize on the opportunity and maybe a once in a decade. Companies don't make decisions to move their operations every year. They make decisions think about the investment, moving people, and then sustaining that investment and having it uh, as a return on that investment over a period of time. So we were at a point, we either seize the opportunity or we let it pass us by. This is the time to act. It's not a time to pause or let's sit it out for a year and see how things work out. It is the time to seize the moment. It's transformational and we will let it go for more than a decade if we step back and don't have the full suite of economic development tools. We need to be ready, but right now is a transformational time and it's a time to seize the opportunity. Critics of these incentives describe them as corporate welfare, and Florida is already facing a $3 billion revenue shortfall over the next two years. But Representative Chip Lamarca of Lighthouse Point says they'll try to make it happen. You know, Florida's not going to create a system that, in my mind, that uh, we're handing out uh, money to ask someone to come here. We don't need to do that. We have, you know, quality of life, uh, you know, the whole quality of life and, and quality of place that we have here and, and good government uh, regulations and smaller government, lower taxes, all that's great. But at the end of the day, you still need something in that, uh, you know, in that proposal when you're competing against, you know, Georgia, Texas, North Carolina, Tennessee, um, you know, it hurts me to, to hear that we're not in the conversation with site selectors. But at the end of the day, if we can if we can have a tiny bit of, uh, uh, you know, of investment in that area where it makes the difference 
and we hold folks accountable, I think I think we'll be right back where we were before. I mean, clearly based on the the, the pandemic and the fact that Florida is open for business, you know, that's not an automatic that people are going to move Wall Street tech firms and other other businesses straight down to to Florida and you know preferably South Florida in my case, but um, you know these other states are open for business as well. So um, as as much as we like to think we have all the all of the um, parameters to get get a business to move here, we ultimately have to make sure that uh, you know we're in we're really in the game. Economic development officials are not the only ones looking to lawmakers for more bucks. A group called Florida Voices for Health has just released a new report on dental services in Florida. It's not good. Laura Brennanman with CHAIN, the Community Health Action and Information Network, says kids who are supposed to be getting subsidized dental care are out of luck in the Sunshine State. Children in low-income families are among the most at risk to missing oral health care. And Florida's children are chronically ranking at the bottom or near the bottom of national standings for receipts of dental services. The last year for which statistics are available was 2018. And in that year, only 38% of Florida's children who participate in Medicaid or in the state children's health insurance program received any oral health benefit at all. That left almost two thirds of Florida's most vulnerable children without this vital service. So the bottom line from this project is that despite the strong work, desire and passion of the safety net oral health system in Florida, it's not on par with the private system in delivering the needed services to the communities it's designed to serve. That leaves many members of Florida's most vulnerable communities with inadequate access to oral health care. A key factor that needs to be addressed is the unaffordability of oral health care. And one simple way to address this is through expanding Florida's Medicaid eligibility to the working age adult population as provided by the Affordable Care Act. And additionally, we must guarantee that dental, dental care benefits to enrollees in Medicaid that are now currently included as optional benefits through the dental managed care plans are clarified. Oral health advocates must demand this clarity about the benefits and insist that those benefits include preventive care. Along with Medicaid expansion, Brenneman says the state should increase the reimbursement rate for oral care. It's so low now they have trouble finding dentists willing to treat Medicaid recipients. Tampa will host the Super Bowl in a couple of weeks, which means a lot of Floridians will be making bank by renting their houses through Airbnb and other home share platforms. But these big sporting events are often a magnet for sexual trafficking. So Viviana Jordan at Airbnb says they're doing what they can to help people recognize the situation and report anyone suspected of trafficking people against their will. Yes, we actually, Rick, have been working on this issue for a number of years, mainly through our partner Polaris which is a national organization that leads on this work across a number of fronts. But in this case, in the Tampa Bay area, this year we are working very closely with the campaign called It's Penalty, and they are working to raise awareness ahead of the Super Bowl because, as you mentioned, uh, big sporting events can increase human trafficking due to the large influx of visitors. So we want to make sure that we are doing everything we can to join that effort and join uh, the things they're doing to raise awareness and educate our host community about the signs of human trafficking and how to report it. What are the signs that the host should be looking for on human trafficking? Yes, yeah, so the things that hosts um, and anybody uh, 
trafficking for human trafficking to look for are things such as people being easily startled, submissive, afraid, or unsure of where they are, or that are being accompanied by somebody who looks suspicious. And there are um, a number of ways in which folks can report this. They can send a tip um, by texting CTYTIP to 847411, or they can call 1-888-373-7888 anywhere in the United States. Now, when you say training, what exactly does that entail? So, a couple of things. One of the things we're going to be doing is putting communications out to our host community via email to ensure that they have all messages and all the tips and recommendations that they would need on this topic. But additionally, we are going to be conducting uh, workshops or trainings for our hosts in the Tampa Bay area. And so we are going to be doing that actually in partnership with our partner Polaris um, that also works with us internally to do employee trainings on this subject. And so our hosts have already been invited to this. These workshops will be taking place next week, and they're going to be virtual, obviously, given the times we are living in. But we are really looking at it as an opportunity to not only provide them with tips on and how to just ensure that everything goes well ahead of these bookings, but also um, on the subject of human trafficking. And for that, and as much as we have a lot of good information, we want to make sure that they get this information directly from a partner with an expertise on this subject, which is why we are bringing in Polaris to do this portion of the presentation directly. And we intend to also record it to make it available to folks who may not be available in real time to participate. Now, have these incidents of uh, human trafficking, have have they been that much of a problem with uh, Airbnb, or is this more, shall we say, preventive? It's certainly preventative. We uh, take safety on our platform. Uh, it's one of our top priorities. And so we feel a responsibility to talk about this issue um, with our host whenever we get an opportunity. And so in as much as in this particular case, as we look ahead to the Super Bowl, it is a preventative measure. We don't shy away from this issue year-round, um, which is why we have the partnership with Polaris, because we know that there's a lot of work to be done year-round, right? People don't just get trafficked ahead of, unfortunately, ahead of major sporting events, right? Or, um, you know, this month is actually um, National Human Trafficking Awareness Month, but we know these things, uh, these crimes are committed year-round, which is why um, we have sort of a constant eye on this. Now, at the risk of sounding rather inhuman and crass, why is this Airbnb's responsibility? Well, so we we believe um, that anything that impacts the safety of our host and guest community is something that it is incumbent upon us to tackle. And considering that safety is a top priority at Airbnb, we do believe that um, we have a responsibility to do as much as we can to get the word out and to raise awareness about these issues and to partner with um, local law enforcement, and in this case, working closely with Attorney General Moody's office and um, Tampa PD and others to make sure that we can get to our host community the tools and resources that will contribute to them optimizing for safety in their bookings, not just um, for the Super Bowl, but beyond that, right? We really need to see this as an opportunity to get information to our hosts that is not just useful to them in the next couple of weeks, but that they can then um, hold on to and implement in months ahead. Understood. Uh, what, 
one other question I, I ask everyone when I do these interviews this time of year, especially, is, you know, everything is different now because of COVID. How has how has COVID affected Airbnb in Florida specifically? Well, early on, um, like so many others in the travel industry experience, it was the pandemic truly brought us to a standstill, and not just obviously in Florida, the U.S., but globally. I mean, for us, we lost nearly 80% of our business in a matter of weeks, um, which is pretty daunting. That said, we have started to see a recovery, and we saw that as early on as the summer when restrictions began lifting. We saw people begin to explore um, closer to home, so we saw more for example, more than half of our bookings in the month of August were for trips within 300 miles of a guest's home. So those are indicators that tell us that people, even at that point, were ready to get out of home just because they had been quarantined for for so long. Um, And so between that and remote working and staycations and sort of trends um, having to do with that, we have seen an uptick um, in travel. And I think the other big part that has contributed to what we've seen and sort of this rebound has been uh, the fact that people just feel uh, more comfortable uh, in vacation rentals given sort of this privacy and self-contained environment, especially um, for larger groups or families, um, which obviously if you are in a traditional hospitality in a hotel, um, invariably, right, you're going to have to go through a front desk, you're going to have to go through common lobby areas, um, restaurants, et cetera. Um, so that is one of the things that, that I think has really helped, particularly for the home sharing industry. You've been listening to Viviana Jordan, the public policy manager for Airbnb in Florida. Your calendar of events, the Florida Board of Athletic Training meets online at 9.30. The Revenue Estimating Conference meets at 9. The State Department of Economic Opportunity releases the unemployment stats at 10. The South Florida Water Management District holds an online workshop about water and climate resilience metrics at 10. Trustees at the Florida School for the Deaf and Blind meet at 11 in St. Augustine. The Ethics Commission meets at 11 to consider legislative recommendations for the upcoming session. The Florida Housing Finance Corporation meets by conference call at 1.30. And on Saturday at 10 in the morning, Senator Randolph Bracey of Orlando will help host a farm share food distribution event in Apopka. Finally today, a Florida man who is one of the leaders of the Proud Boys is now facing federal charges for his role in the riot at the U.S. Capitol. Joe Biggs of Volusia County is seen in a video posted on the social media site Parlor that shows him in his check jacket, dark ski cap, as he enters the building with a mob of rioters through a broken glass door. In that video, Biggs lowers his face mask, smiles at the camera, and says, this is awesome. He's charged with obstructing a proceeding before Congress, engaging in disorderly or disruptive activity, and entering restricted grounds without authority. Now, Biggs told the Daily Mail the only reason he entered the building was he had to take a piss. By the way, conservatives howled when Parler was kicked off Amazon servers for violating their contract by allowing people to post all sorts of violent threats. But Parler is back up and is apparently using servers that are based in Russia. And you know the users of Parler? They still call themselves patriots. That's it for today's episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again Monday as we continue to plumb the depths of Florida politics.